0: Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit LifePointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit MLaneHarrison.com. Well, hey man, you may go ahead and be seated. This morning we're continuing in our series in Matthew chapter 9. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 9, we're going to be in verses 9 through 13 of Matthew chapter 9 this morning. We're continuing again, as I said, in a series in the book of Matthew. And the main point of this series that we're looking at has to do with Jesus is the Messiah whose mission is the ministry of. Of making disciples of all people. Now this morning we actually get to look into what a disciple is from the firsthand account of the man who wrote the book of Matthew that we're in, Matthew himself. So we get to see what it is to be a disciple this morning as we look at this series that talks about Jesus's mission in making disciples Many times it might be that we assume what a disciple is. Matthew makes it very clear for us here in Matthew chapter 9 what it looks like to be called to be a disciple and what it looks like to follow Jesus as a disciple. This morning, before we get in there though, I thought a a good entry point lead in to this morning's passage would be to look at video games. Yes, I, I said video games. Now, I am not a gamer or anything like that, so if, you, if you're if you in that crowd, you're, you're joined with me in that. But here's what I've noticed just in growing up around video games over the years, but also being in student ministry. I'm one of the pastors here. I work with our students. I have seen a lot of video games played and come down the pike a whole lot through the years. But one of the things I've noticed about video games over the years is the points of you have kind of changed over the years. So if you grew up and you're used to the arcade style of games, you kind of see everything right out in front of you, right? The objective is right there in front of you, think Pac-Man, think Donkey Kong, you know, those kind of things, where it was very simple back then, right? So everything is out in front of you, you're sort of looking over the entirety of it. To see what's happening. That's the viewpoint, the goal of, of that kind of game, that point of view. The other point of view, and we am really going to impress some of you with this, is called point of view, uh, or RPGs, role-playing games. So they are where a character is out in front, kind of in the foreground, in the center of, of what's going on, and the whole point of that viewpoint is in order to see how the character interacts with the world around them. That's the that's the ones I'm most familiar with. Then they have what's known as first-person views which are more of your modern ones here and the whole point of this game is for you to be able to be immersed in the experience of that character of whoever it is that you're playing through. So you want To be able to feel and experience and interact in much the same way that that character is interacting with the world there. So now that we've talked about video games, let's talk about what it has to do with Matthew. Matthew employs many of these same sort of change in viewpoints to emphasize a different thing about Jesus' life and ministry. And so... Just like in these video games, Matthew has a point of view to give us as he puts Jesus as the central figure in view. Now, he will change those viewpoints for us ever so slightly at different points in order to emphasize a few different things in the passage. To emphasize Jesus' mission in a new angle for us. And that is the case in Matthew chapter 9 this morning. And I just want to lay that foundation for you, hopefully with an illustration you can at least grab onto. So let's look at, with that illustration in mind, Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. This is the call of Matthew. And Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose... And followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord this morning. So here's sort of my central point I want to emphasize to us from from this passage that I believe Matthew's Focus of this passage is for us is that Jesus summons sinners to be learner followers joined in a life of fellowship with Him. That Jesus summons sinners to be learner followers joined in a life of fellowship with Him. This is what it means to be a disciple. We'll unpack that further here in a moment. But let's revisit our illustration from earlier if we can. We have, in this first part of the passage, a first-person view of Jesus. We have very sensory images going on in this passage. We have seeing, we have hearing, we have saying, all of these different sensory experiences that are given to us of Jesus and, in fact, the Pharisees, as we'll see here in a moment. But the focus is on Jesus and what He is doing, what He is feeling, what He is acting upon. And then we also later kind of take a shift midway through the passage. Jesus is then in the foreground and we see how He's affecting the different people around Him. He's affecting the things around Him. Matthew engages both of these sort of viewpoints in order to show us the ministry of Jesus in calling people to be his disciples. So I want to give you from this passage three, what I believe to be three elements of the call to be a disciple. Three elements of the call of the disciple from this passage of Scripture. The first element is that Jesus sees us as we are, And he comes to us as we are. Jesus sees us as we are, and he comes to us as we are. Now Matthew describes to us, again, his own calling to be a disciple of Jesus. And his choice of language is really specific. It's not an accident, but it is emphasizing something of Jesus. And although Matthew is in the midst of what was likely in that day to have been a sinful occupation, Jesus sees him as any other man. You'll notice in the passage it doesn't say, and there was a tax collector named Matthew. No, the narrative draws attention to Matthew's personhood before his sin. A tax collector would have been one of the most corrupt people in a society during those times. They were known to exploit people. They were known to have unjust uh, measures where they would overfill their pockets with, uh, with this collected taxes. And they had a reputation even for being dishonest. You need look no further than Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 for this. Second, however, as someone of Jewish descent, Matthew, being a tax collector, would have been seen as a sellout. He would have been seen as a nationalistic traitor, as a matter of fact. A sellout to Rome and Herod Antipas in those days. Yet here, he is not named by the title. Tax collector, as a matter of fact, it's almost a secondary descriptor. Matthew, who happens to be at a tax booth. Matthew is named by his name, not by his sin. And here's what we learn of Jesus in this this is because Jesus doesn't care what his occupation with sin was, he shows up at his office in the middle of his mess. And calls him to himself. And that's what Jesus does, friends. Jesus knows the worst thing about you and I. And he shows up despite that in the middle of our life. He shows up in the middle of our mess to call us to himself. There's no need to hide from him. He already knows more than you know about yourself. There's no need to... Sweep anything under the rug or hide the mess or pick up even. Because Jesus loves you. And he's come to call you to himself. He's come to call you anyway. And so Jesus says to Matthew this follow me. This is the term designated in the New Testament for what we know as discipleship. The term reserved here has to be is, is directly correlated with being a disciple of Jesus. It means this. It means to be summoned to learn, accompany, and obey. And it is the essence of discipleship in the New Testament. To be a learner, follower, or accompanier of Jesus as the Messiah. That's the first element. That Jesus sees us as we are and shows up to, come to call us to himself as we are. The second element, however, is that Jesus summons us to union with his life. So Jesus shows up in our life, seeing us, not calling us by our sin, but by our very name. But then he summons us to a union of life with him. The summons to follow Jesus in being a disciple involves three different things. Here are the three things, and I'm going to go ahead and list them out for you. And then we're going to come back kind of unpack those a little bit. The first one is this. Being a disciple involves three things. An external, literal action to go after the historical person of Jesus. That's the first one. A total commitment in an exclusive relationship to Jesus as teacher Messiah. And then a participation in the life of salvation and suffering with Jesus. Right, I'll walk through those again. An external, literal action to go after the historical person, Jesus. A total commitment in an exclusive relationship to Jesus as teacher, Messiah. And then a participation in the life and salvation and suffering of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. So let's unpack these three different things that are involved in union with the life of Jesus. The first one, an external, literal action to go after the historical person, Jesus. In Christianity, we are not following a feeling. We are not following an example. We are not following an experience, but a person. A person who is living at this moment. He is abiding now, real and forever just as real as the person sitting next to you even. And so a disciple leaves everything to go after this Jesus. Not an idealized version of self, but a real person, Jesus. And that disciple then breaks all other ties in competing allegiances. They break all other competing commitments to follow after this Jesus, that's the first element of what it means to follow Jesus in response to this summons to follow him. This literal action of change, of breaking commitments to follow him. This is the second aspect, is a total commitment to an exclusive relationship with him as a teacher messiah. This is the focus of Matthew's gospel to show us that Jesus is the messiah but also that learning in discipleship from this Messiah as teacher is not just a heady thing. You get that, right? Discipleship is not just a growing head. This is because the biblical idea of learning actually involves the whole person. In the Bible, the object and goal of learning are the same. They are not separate. God and His will are what learning in the truest sense revolve around in every aspect. And so we are to learn from Jesus so that we might practice what Jesus calls us to do. So this is simply what Jesus means in this. He is not seeking to impart information, but to awaken a commitment to Himself. He is not seeking to impart information alone, but to awaken an absolute commitment to Himself. Listen to what He says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Look at what it means to learn from Jesus here. It means that this teacher has set a new form of learning because Jesus is not just any other teacher. He is a sign of God's coming kingdom where His will would be done. And as we learn from Jesus, we learn that fulfilling this will is not a burden to us, but it is actually a place of joy and rest to those who would venture to come and learn from Jesus. Who would venture to place Him as the King and Messiah over their life. So listen, a learner in the most biblical sense is not someone growing in just intellect alone. A learner is someone taking on the character and nature of God holistically, body, mind, spirit, Every bit of you out of a union that you have with him. And so Jesus' concern, again, is not simply to impart knowledge. It is to awaken. It is to awaken an unconditional commitment to himself. And this is what it truly means to be a disciple. A learner follower of Jesus. And then lastly, we, what we see here is a participation in the life of Jesus in His salvation and suffering. That's the third element of following Jesus as a disciple. The term here for follow me implies a participation even in the fate of Jesus. So Jesus says in John thirteen thirty six one of those great encounters with, with one of His disciples, Peter, He foretells his ascension to Peter and he says this, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. The disciples' end goal is to be where Jesus is. Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. This participation in Jesus' life is to participate in where Jesus is headed with his Father. But it also means this. This is the hard part. It also means sharing in his suffering. Jesus speaking with a scribe who comes to him in Matthew chapter 8 verse 19 says when the scribe comes to him says teacher I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says to him foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And in essence, he's saying, do you understand the cost associated with following me? This is the only place where life is found, but there's a cost associated with it. To share in my life and my salvation is to share also in my suffering. And so as one commentator puts it, in Christianity, there is only one discipleship. And therefore, only one following, namely... The relationship to Jesus. So here's the question for us, friends. Where have we reduced discipleship to something less than a full commitment to Jesus? With all of ourselves. Where have we altered that and missed that, perhaps? Today, Jesus comes to you and I as we are in this place with all of our mess and says, Follow me. Follow me. In Matthew, we see responds in these three ways. He rose. He gave this external response. He left his post. He left his post as a tax collector. And then he took on a new allegiance. He followed Jesus. That's the second element of being called into a life with Jesus. It's to be summoned to union with his life. Now here's the third element. Jesus invites us to fellowship with the triune God. He invites us with fellowship to the triune God. So He meets us where we are, sees us as we are. He calls us and summons us into sharing in His life, but then He also invites us to fellowship with the triune God. This is beautiful, friends. The next part of the narrative, we have Jesus reclined at a table while many are coming and going and reclining with Him and His disciples. The eating of a meal is the focus here, not how Jesus is kind of hanging out. It's not His posture that's the emphasis here, but rather what He's doing and how He's interacting with those around Him. He's eating with many who are coming and going and joining Him in association. You see, eating was figuratively tied to enjoyment and close fellowship. That's not hard for us to imagine, right? And the Pharisees would have seen this as incriminating to associate with someone like a Gentile, like this, in this particular meal. To associate with someone in this way would have been seen as incriminating to someone like the Pharisees. So to compare Jesus' seeing... Matthew to, to the way the Pharisees see these tax collectors and sinners they did not see persons notice this, they see what's happening do you see that here in the narrative they see not persons but a ban to be avoided so they say this why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners, I think it's funny however that Jesus. they don't even address Jesus directly They kind of talk about him behind his back to his disciples, right? They're not even even wanting to go up and even address Jesus. But as sometimes when that happens, he overhears, we don't really exactly know how he knows what's said, but he hears it, and he calls them out on it. This is the dispute. So he's saying this to them, Go away. Direct your attention to the scriptures to learn from God's word, specifically in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, why it is that I welcome sinners. Go and learn, come under the instruction of the scriptures that you specialize in teaching, and learn why it is that I welcome sinners because God desires mercy, not sacrifice. And then Jesus changes the illustration a bit. He he gives the illustration of a doctor and a patient. He says, it's only those who know they have need of healing that come to a doctor for treatment. It's only those who recognize and feel the pain of their infirmities that come for treatment. So he says this, I have not come to call the righteous, but those who feel the weight of their infirmities sinners it's not those that are satisfied in themselves and their self-effort that i've come for it's those who know their desperate need of grace and healing those are who jesus has come for the word used here for call is a word in the New Testament which means to ask a person to accept an offer of hospitality. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. So Jesus' offer is the invitation of no less than to share in the life of God. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus isn't just calling us to have a party with Him. He's calling us to have an invitation to share in the life of God Himself. That offer is extended to those who know themselves to be sinners, know themselves to be in need of mercy, who have no worthy sacrifice to make. The sick are sick because of their sin, and they realize this. Separated from the life of God, but Jesus, the great physician, has come to offer healing. Healing of sin and life with God. And so friend, if you are here this morning and you feel the weight of your sin, the pains of brokenness, the vast need that you have to be right, you are exactly the person Jesus has come for. Do not forget this. But if you come this morning satisfied with self-effort, you may be the very person who is likely to reject Jesus' offer this morning. You see, I've come to realize that this felt reality of the depth of our depravity and dependency is often only felt deeper as we mature as disciples in Jesus. Jonathan Edwards gives an example of this. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor theologian during the era of the great awakening he he led me was a leader key leader in that during the early days of, of America he's known as America's great America's greatest theologian to us and he once said this in some respects I was a far better christian for the first 2 or 3 years after my conversion than I am now And I lived in a more constant delight and pleasure. It is affecting me, however, to think how ignorant I was when I was a young Christian. Of the bottomless, infinite depths of wickedness, pride, hypocrisy, and deceit left in my heart. And yet, of late years, I have a more constant sense of His absolute sovereignty and a delight in that sovereignty. And I have more of a sense of the glory of Christ. What is He saying to us? He says this, I think in many ways, the early years of my Christianity, I might have been a better Christian if I measured my Christian maturity alone by the extent of my delight and my comprehension of those things. But here's what here's what Jonathan Edwards is helping us to, to grasp, that grace actually leads us to recognize the depth and distance between God and ourselves. And as we grow in that grace, we actually become more in awe of God's saving work as we see these things more clearly. And so if you have followed Jesus for some time, and you have this almost this greater sense of the weight of your depravity and the need of your dependency, you are in the right spot as well. Because you are in the right spot to not only be in good company, but you are in the right spot for who Jesus has come to welcome. The company of His disciples. And the beauty of all of this is that Jesus not only extends union with God and the life of God to us, but He extends an offer of life with God to us. You see the distinction. Jesus not only heals our condition, calling us to union with His life, but He welcomes us into communion with Himself, with God, the triune God. This is something we are desperately in need of recovering and understanding in the Christian life. So what's so special about the life of God? Well, it's an eternal life of love. It's not just a prolonged existence. It is a participation in the communion of the Godhead Himself. It's appropriate that we find ourselves in this setting this morning, perhaps, because everything that is in creation was birthed out of a loving communion of Father and Son in the Spirit. That means God doesn't just want to fix you, forgive you, heal you, as glorious as that is, but He wants to be with you forever. And His aim in calling you to Himself as a disciple, hear me, is to grow your capacity to indulge in His love and to express the infinite measures of His love for all eternity. This is the ever-increasing reality and end goal of the disciple of Jesus. To grow and more able to have a capacity to indulge ourselves in the love of God which surpasses all understanding, and to express this love of God that surpasses all understanding. We will never plumb the depths of this love, friends, for eternity. And yet His goal is to grow us up to be able to have the capacity to do so. This is discipleship. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Does this describe the Christianity that you know? Does this describe what it means to follow Jesus as you've understood it? And are you following Jesus in the kind of life of union with Him and communion with Him like this? If not, then today is the day that He is beckoning upon you by His Spirit. Will you follow me? I welcome you in this invitation of life, but in the communion that has existed from all time, from which all things were birthed. And so, Jesus summons sinners to be learner followers joined in a life of fellowship with Him. As we enter into a time of prayer, would you just join me just for a minute? Just bow your heads, close your eyes for a minute. I want to search our hearts just briefly with two questions and then close in prayer. Here are the two questions. Maybe for the first time, do you really need to follow Jesus? Is the Holy Spirit maybe this morning moving in your life to awaken a real commitment to Him? not just an intellectual exercise or whatever else it may be but have you really placed your faith and trust in this Jesus and followed him this morning he invites you to come and enter into that life and follow him and then maybe friends maybe you maybe you've lost something of what it means to follow Jesus in the disorienting year that we've had it's easy to get disoriented lose our equilibrium if you will maybe you've missed something here he invites you maybe even in the middle of your mess to come and learn from him and yield yourself completely to him this is the goal of jesus will you follow him is he leading you there this morning Let me pray for us, and then we'll respond to these things. God, we thank you for the offer of life you have in Jesus. Thank you that you call us to be learner followers of this Jesus forever, united in a union with his life. Thank you for the grace of opening your life to us and the invitation to know you and be in a communion with you For all time. And so I pray if there be someone in the sound of my voice who's never made that decision to follow you, that this morning they would simply say yes and place their faith and trust in Jesus for the first time. And for the rest of us, for Christians, we're all too often apt to forget some element of this, to reduce discipleship to some segment of life. Would you open up this world of following after you to the eternal participation we have in your life, in your love, in your fellowship that you have within yourself and lead us to renew our commitment to you, whatever that may be. Would you be honored in this time and would our joy be full? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing in response?